Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. Today, I have Esben, who is the founder of UserFlow. And today, we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic, which is just the whole transition from sales-led to product-led. And this journey is hard. It's slow. There's a lot of things that go wrong for many, many companies. And so the purpose of this series is we're really going to just be dissecting, you know, what are other leaders doing in this transition? What mistakes did they make so you don't have to make them? And the goal of this is just to accelerate your learning as you're making this transition yourself. So I am happy to have Esben here, who is going to go through his experience, both as it's Cobalt, which you found it, as well as uh, UserFlow. And so it's going to be a really fascinating story. I'm excited to dig in. But for everyone who's listening, uh, do you just want to give a quick intro around your background, Esben? Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks for having me here on the podcast. Uh, really happy to be joining. So I'm, uh, as you can hear by my strange accent, uh, I'm from Denmark uh, in Europe. But I lived in the States for the last uh, eight years. I uh, moved to the U.S. to co-found a company called Cobalt, which is basically a pen test as a service company. And for those who are not familiar with uh, pen testing, then that is basically manual kind of security testing of your web app, mobile app, uh, et cetera, network. And Cobalt was basically a modern product-driven a SaaS-driven way to, to deliver pen testing. And today it's a 200-people company. I recently left uh, Cobalt myself two months ago almost to join another company called UserFlow as a co-founder, which was created by my friend uh, Sebastian. And uh, UserFlow is uh, basically a, a flow builder, as we call it. It's a way to build in-app tours, product tours, checklists, surveys, etc. So basically a way to kind of become product-led in a no-code kind of fashion. So yeah, that's where I'm at today. And uh, yeah, excited to be joining this podcast. Awesome. Well, you've definitely gone like full tilt from the sales-led approach to not just building a product-led company, but like literally empowering product-led companies to, to go down this path. So uh, this is going to be fun to dig into. And I want to hear like your story around, like you're building Cobalt, you're doing really well. You're like doing that triple, triple, double, double kind of growth, which investors love. But like beyond that, it's like, okay, so you got something that's working. You built this growth engine for your business. You're doing great things. And then you have this idea. You're like, hey, something isn't either working or like you felt like, hey, I could go down this product path and maybe we could have a better result than what we're currently having, which is already a fantastic result. So can you take me through just like what were you were thinking when you started to think about like this whole product led motion? Because it's fascinating. Like when things are working, I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, are like, okay, let's just like keep this steady, <laughs> like keep it growing. Yeah. But uh, you wanted to disrupt it. So let's hear it your background and I guess story behind that? Yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. I think, yes, Kubelis has been a fast-growing company, has a very successful company. Uh, but I also think the classical like innovate or die, right? You have to constantly like think about innovation. Otherwise, there might be a competitor coming in doing something better uh, than you. And we got really excited about this whole product-led movement. I think as founders uh, in Cobalt, 
that's always been the model kind of we believe strongly in like this like self-serve, self-sign-up kind of uh, product-led driven model. And in Kobo, we actually also started out that way and then later moved a bit more to a demo request kind of model, but still very product-led in many ways because we were introducing a product in a market that we're not used to having any software product. The pen testing industry is heavily dominated by consultancies that doesn't have a SaaS product. So you can say in many ways, we've always been product-led because we've had a product to drive growth. And the product has actually driven that people do more pen testing because we made it so much easier to do pen testing. You could suddenly spin up pen testing less than 24 hours instead of months as it takes with consultancies. So in many ways, we're a very product-led business, but where we wasn't that product-led was in the sales process, right? That was a very like, high-touch demos, presenting the product. And there are many reasons for that. I think one, is security in security industry, you have to build trust. So we in the early days had to build a lot of trust. Uh, secondly, we had to explain a new model, right? Pen test as a service, as we call it, is kind of a new take on penetration testing. And uh, therefore, we had to kind of be a bit more high-touch to explain that model and, and educate the market. But what had happened over the last year was basically we had built that trust in the market, especially among the software as a service companies, especially the small ones. And we didn't need to educate the market that much anymore. And that opened that door to become more product-led. And then we were also inspired by other companies and, and the content you're making here at Product-Led to kind of pursue that journey. So, so I think it was a mixture of uh, the timing being right for us to move towards a, a more product-led sales motion again. And also that we constantly want to kind of keep up with the speed, right? We saw a lot of benefits in reducing customer acquisition costs, especially for the lower segments in doing uh, this model and reducing friction to get even more customers, uh, hopefully, right? That's the kind of journey Cobalt uh, started on and is still on uh, today. Got it. And so can you just like walk us through some of the reasons why you thought it made sense to be uh, more sales-led in that specific circumstance? You mentioned one of them, which is interesting, which is just like, yeah, like for building trust. I think it can make a ton of sense to have that more like hands-on approach, especially with security. It's like, hey, you kind of want to see that there's someone behind that company. And it's not just give me all your sensitive details and then we're going to scam you so hard. Like that could happen as far as like a For circumstance. Sure. <laughs> and I know I say it's a joke because I'm like, that'd be a terrible business, but <laughs> people are worried about that stuff. So it's totally valid. So like, yeah. what are some other reasons uh, why you might want to be more sales led in a product that world? So I think, as I said, again, educate the market was another big one, but also Remember, we are competing against consultancies back then, right? And consultancies are, by the nature of their business, high touch. So the competition we're up against, they will always do a sales call. And they will even sometimes bring on their penetration testers on those sales calls, right? Uh, even for the smallest customers. So I think we were up against the competition at that point where we just needed to kind of mirror it just a bit, right? Because otherwise we would lose out on not having been high-touched and create that trust. So that was like uh, something we just needed to do and we realized we needed to do. A uh, final thing was also the sticker price for pen testing is fairly high, uh, typically, uh, you know, six-figure uh, kind of agreements. 
annual agreements. So that was another reason why we felt a sales call was needed back in those days. But I think, as I said, that has changed a bit, especially in our lower segments. We realized it's, yes, it's still six-figure deal in the lower end, right? But I think we have a thesis in Cobalt, you can sell this sell service because now it's so standardized and we have helped by having a software as a service platform to drive pen testing. We have also been the ones changing that industry into having a more standardized kind of approach without uh, losing quality, right? We have the trust now. We have the brand now. People trust you can get a good pen test through the standardized software-driven model. And you don't need that like high touch necessarily. It's actually just friction, right? For you to get your pen test done. Many small SaaS businesses, they need a pen test tomorrow because they're selling this big deal, right? And any friction actually... It's not good, right? They just want to get it over with. And Cobalt has helped a lot on that. And now we want to take it even further. And that's the journey we're still on uh, in Cobalt. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I, I just immediately thought back to when I was writing the book on product and growth, I was coming up with this like moat framework, which sounded really weird, but I liked moats. And I was like, you know, ocean conditions, how does that impact whether you should be like sales-led or product-led? And I, I'll just like bring back this example. So like in a blue ocean, when you're like creating demands, a lot of times, not always, but most times like having that sales team is going to be so effective because they're like educating the person, they're challenging them on the different ways they can approach things. So I think for all the listeners out there, like just understands like what ocean you're in. And it's not always just like, our industry in SaaS is blue ocean. It's like, no, like look at the segment. Like if it's enterprise you're going after, that could be a totally different ocean than the SMB space. And so just understand the, the market segment you're going after uh, and what that market looks like. Because if it's a blue ocean, might be a telling sign you should still have more of a sales that approach. Whereas eventually, as you're alluding to, husband, it's like as you go down more of a a red ocean path is more people come into the space. People will come to your website and just have that expectation that I want to solve my problem now. And mm-hmm. if you can help me do that, this is going to really make or break this deal. I want to see it in action. I want to really build that trust in a much faster, accelerated way. And usually that could be through a trial or just going through and using the product. So thank you for mentioning that. And one other kind of area I wanted to dig into a bit is so you had this idea like, okay, let's let's become more product-led. And what were some of the, the first challenges like in getting buy-in? Because like the company you're mentioning, it had grown a lot. And mm-hmm. with that, there's a lot of extra heads and hippos <laughs> and everything else that comes sure. with fast growth. And so yeah. how did you approach that? Like, it sounds like there was definitely a, a few really big challenges as far as like, okay, let's get more people behind this. You just can't move as quick as a small startup. No, for sure. Uh, so when we started this initiative, I think Cobra was close to 100 employees. Today, it's double that size, uh, 200 or something like that. And I think uh, one of the first things we did was, of course, it came a lot from the top. It came from the founders right, uh, who had looked into that, especially our CEO, Jacob, had kind of, he, he pushed a bit for, we want to move in this strategic direction. We should investigate it. And that, of course, helps when something comes from the top, it can move a bit quicker, right? So I think that made it a priority. But of course, it was still a big kind of company to move, right? And it's also still a transition that's going on. 
So therefore, uh, the way we've approached it, and I think also the way I want to uh, say to most, uh, I want to recommend other businesses in this situation to do it is do it iteratively. But you can also do it too slow and iteratively, right? It's a balance, right? And I think I don't want to say that Cobalt has like cracked the code and like uh, we did it amazingly, right? It's been a, a journey. And especially it comes down to a lot of change management first, because you build your entire culture around like being, having salespeople, having customer success people supporting very high touch, right? Then you start challenging that a bit by saying, could we actually remove that, right? Like how much of this could remove? And that's a tough question because people don't like to, they feel a bit scared about removing that kind of stuff because do we lose the customers then? Like, will we lose revenue? Like, you know, there's a lot of like open questions when you start doing this. And I think that is definitely the biggest challenge. It's change management. It's one, getting the buy-in, of course, from all the stakeholders. But then another big thing uh, is also suddenly the go-to-market and product organization has to get together and learn from each other and understand each other even more than they have been used to, right? I think normally you can say customer success comes with requirements to product and then product builds something. But here it's, it's really you're integrating this sales process into the product, like that's a big kind of merge of knowledge you have to do. So a lot of like sales and customer success knowledge has to be merged with and product has to understand it. And product also has to kind of think, is this actually need to have, or is it something we could cut away completely? And that's not easy either. So it's a big kind of change management and prioritization exercise uh, that you have to go through. Interesting. And so the things I hear is <laughs> first things first, you're going to make this transition. You better be getting the leaders on board from the get-go. It's going to make it way easier, especially if you have bigger departments or team. The second thing you really need to go through and think about is just like, how can you iterate? Like, what are some of those quick wins that you could do to roll out and get more people bought in? And then the third Definitely not the last, but the third is like focus on change management. And I think like just after studying a lot of sales-led and then product-led companies, one of the things I'd like to get your thoughts on is just like the way the teams are built out. So like in a traditional sales-led company, you have like your marketing team, you have your sales team, your support, your success, and it's all very siloed. And like, I remember since I was in demand gen at a, a pretty sales-led company, I would say, and there was always just like the tension from sales and marketing of like, oh, you sent us crap leads. <laughs> yeah, yes. And then the marketing team's like, you never followed up with them. Yeah. <laughs> so there's Classic. just like so many of these fun discussions. And so I'm curious, like I know as far as a lot of the other product companies that have made this switch, they always say... Uh, or at least a good chunk of them say, like, we had to change our org structure because before it was just like departments. And then they said, you know what, we probably need more like growth teams where it focuses more on like a pod. It's like you're focused on this acquisition target or signups or getting more people from free to paid. And so I'm curious, like, how you fostered some of that, like, organizational change because there's change management, then there's like, Let's, let's just change how people work, what team you're on, uh, really stir the pot to get people thinking about this. Yeah, I think it's a really, really big challenge as well, right? How do you change organization? Because you still need the existing organization to support the existing model, right? Uh, while you're doing this. 
So uh, a couple of things at Cobalt, we, we of course established a growth product team, right? That's classic. I think all companies that move on this journey, they they do that. And that growth product team kind of becomes, you put a lot of responsibility to them and maybe too much actually to drive the collaboration and the kind of coordination between go-to-market and product and all this. And I think one of the things I realized was you need a bit more than that, right? You need to bring uh, more uh, cross-functional group together, uh, whether you do that via technical kind of program management or similar, like a program manager basically kind of driving the initiative uh, cross-functionally. I played that role a lot at Cobol and and, and Haley uh, is another uh, person at Cobol who also helped on that. Uh, journey and and now it's actually product marketing and I think an interesting function that I I've learned a lot over the last year is product marketing. They are in that intersection, right? So they are actually they have their days to shine because they are getting they understand the product, they understand the go to market department, and that's what you need to do when you're doing this product like growth. So product marketing managers, I think, have a big big role actually in product-led growth uh, coordination. But again, I don't want to put all the responsibility on them. I think you need uh, something on top of that, right? I, I haven't figured out what's the best. I think it's some kind of program management initiative where somebody drives it. And the challenge is really that this initiative works on different levels. So first you have the high level where you're making the plan and what should we really do? But you even require coordination all the way down to the solutioning. That's really tough, right? Because to understand the solutioning, you need to be a bit more technical. You need to understand all the kind of different aspects of, for instance, building self-sign-up or building something, right? And that, it's not a lot of people who can operate on the planning level and the solutioning level and ensure kind of collaboration. So that's a big challenge, but it's, it's something you have to like figure out how you do best. And so for the, the folks who are like still sales led or thinking like, you know, on how do I approach this? I want to like recap the three main things you mentioned as far as like how you could make this transition from sales led or product led. And then I'd like to like dig in one layer deeper on each of them and just go through like, how did you approach it? So the first one was to get buy-in from the leadership team. The second was really like, how do you iterate fast and get some of those quick wins under your belt? Third was like the change management, which you did touch on just now. So the first one, like, how did you go and really get more buy-in from the leadership team? Like, obviously you were a leader at Cobalt, so that has like some sway, but how did you get the rest of the team on board? I think initially the whole product-led initiative at Cobalt was kind of it was brought out there right, and, and started slowly, kind of people were aware about it, mainly driven by product. But there was still, I think, one of the biggest challenges was how do you get this alignment between go-to-market and product? Because it's not really only a product problem to solve. It's a shared kind of initiative that go-to-market has to be part of as well. So I think that was the first step. How do you get both the go-to-market leadership, like sales, customer success, and product on the same page, right? Uh, they might all want to do product-led, but they need to be on the same page on how we're going to do it, right? So we did that in our management meetings, uh, basically got together and talked. Yeah. We brought it up as a topic, like how are we actually going to do this? And one of the ideas uh, I brought to the table was 
I think we need to focus, right? We need to focus on just, because you can do product-led, you could theoretically do it for all segments. Like when I talk about customer segments, it's like in Cobol, for instance, we have um, growth, SMB, corporate, enterprise. You could technically start trying to do it for all segments and do like free trials and whatever, but it becomes an even bigger exercise than to actually do it, right? Um, so one of the big decisions we made uh, was to focus only on the growth segment initially and really build and focus our product-led journey on them first because they were the simplest segment. The to uh, kind of We knew their needs were very standardized. And then also that they were used to the self-serve model. A lot of these like growth customers, and that's we um, define that by zero to 50 employees. They're used to buying SaaS, uh, self-service kind of software. So I think that was the, one of the biggest alignment points we made between go-to-market and product was let's just focus on this segment because that already cuts down the conversation significantly, right? Because as soon as you add enterprise, a whole new set of questions opens up in how you're going to do it. Um, so yeah, I think that was a, a, an important part for us to do that. Yeah, no, um, for the folks listening, one important piece that you just mentioned is audience. So really understanding like who you are targeting. And sometimes that will totally shift. I know one company we were talking to recently, it's just like they're testing out, opening up a free trial for their traditional sales-like company. And you know, before they were targeting like the CTOs, the CIOs, the people at the top with their traditional sales that approach, and it was working for them, they're growing pretty quickly. But then they started with this free trial model. <laughs> they realized it's like, you know, they they started with the small test iterating, like you mentioned, and they were doing this LinkedIn ad campaign. And you're just like, we were targeting these people, like the CTOs and everyone else, but we're getting all the engineers. <laughs> and so it's just like, you're like, what's going on here? But it's definitely a shift whenever you're you're going this direction, you're creating something a bit more self-service, you're probably gonna be attracting the end user. And that's actually a good thing. And so a lot of companies, it's not just like, you know what, we're going to slap on this free trial call to action on our website. Boom, we are product-led. Pop the champagne. Let's party. We are now product-led. It's like, you can only wish like it was that quick. But there's a lot of things that change. There's a marketing team that needs to change as far as who they're targeting and how they allocate, you know, like... How many people are going to see this offer for the free trial versus, you know, what we know works for the demo? And so I'm curious, like we hear this a lot between, you know, the person who's leading this charge, the trailblazer and the marketing team, they bump up into the marketing team. The marketing team's like, yo, we're not going to do that. We're not going to promote your free trial because we got this demo target here. We got to hit it. We got to generate this amount of pipeline. And then on the sales team, we hear a lot of folks kind of really bump up against this person and say, you know what, we're not going to do this because we know like this is how we close and we know this works. We have the playbook. Hello, why would you change this? So yeah. how do you address that as part of this struggle to become more product-led? Because it's not just as easy as like, hey, we have this direction, we're going to go here. But there's those other internal stakeholders you definitely do have to get buy-in from. I agree. And I think a lot of that starts with leadership again, right? If you get the VP of sales on board, if you get the VP of customer success on board, uh, and they agree and understand the bigger purpose of you doing this, right? 
then I think you come far because then it's on them to also help transition that down to the rest of the company. And that's a big part of it. But the second part is what you can also do is like present it on like all hands, uh, present it like, uh, why are we doing this? Why are companies moving to a more product-led model? What are the benefits of doing it, right? So everybody understands in the entire company the why behind why you're doing it, right? I think that's super important in any change management exercises is people have to understand the why, then they will back up uh, as part of it. And then you can say, yes, theoretically, you are removing a segment from the sales team potentially, right? I would say it's still, it's a transition phase, right? So it's not like a tomorrow done, you know, there's not at this segment anymore, mm-hmm. but you just have to explain what is actually happening, right? For instance, Cobalt is growing as com- we're growing really, really fast and getting tons of new customers. So we're never going to have a lack of opportunities for salespeople to work on. It just means that these salespeople likely have to move up to the next segment and work them instead, or potentially they become an expert in handling product-led leads, right? Uh, because I would say it's not that black and white that you move to, a, I don't believe that at least, that you move to a product-led model and then it's all handled by the product. I think even the product-led pioneers, let's take Senders, my good Danish friends, I've done a bit of a trial experiments and I get a hit up by a salespeople, by a salesperson. I would say after a week, approximately when I've done my trial, I think a salesperson reaches out, even though I'm a, today a, a small startup with user flow, right? You can say there's still a salesperson hitting me. So I don't think it's that black and white either. I think there's still room for sales to pick up the pieces sometimes in a product-led model, but it's a different kind of sales motion. So I don't think there will always be opportunity for sales. And as long as you present it that way and present the general benefits for the company, I think most people will understand it. Yeah. And I was talking with this company, RD Station. They actually just got acquired this week for $2.2 billion in Brazil, which is pretty cool to see. They made this big transition from sales that are product-led. And so one of the things the founder who is like tasked with <laughs> building this internally for them was just like, how do you transition sales since they had that working really well for them? And so what they did, I love this. This is my favorite example of how to do it. So they basically went to their sales team, found their top rep, the person who's just the best at closing any deal whatsoever. And they're like, hey, like, come here. We need your help for this, like at least a month or something like that. And so they introduced like this uh, new free product and they're generating a lot of like these product qualified leads. And they're like, like, it's just your job. Like, you're going to figure out, like, how can you close these people? And that's all you're in charge of. Yeah. Just figure it out. And yeah. sure enough, like, you figure it out. And then what they did is they just took uh, that individual and said, okay, now you have, like, five more people or six more people on your team. Like, you got to train them how to do it. And then those six people are now going to train the next people. And so it was, like, a really interesting way they approached it. But... I hear you on like the fact of like, where does sales fit into this? I think there is like one part, like abundance mindset kind of needs to be there. It's like, we're not actually going to be taking away, you know, the accounts you really want to be working on. Like these could be the small, medium-sized businesses where you can focus on the enterprise um, accounts. And so I always see this time and time again, where it's like, the sales team, usually most resistant at the initial onset of this like whole product-led thing, because I think a lot of people hear product-led, they think the product's going to just like take over, but that's not the case. And so it's no. just a matter of like, 
okay, you get to work on the better deals. And in this case at RD Station, they just had a low-touch sales team that they introduced, but it's more like a farmer kind of sales role where they're helping people. They can help thousands of accounts, each individual. Whereas at the enterprise level, it's like you might only have 10 or, you know, a hundred accounts that you're really looking after. So it's more like hunting in that regard. So yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. It's about showing the opportunity, right? For growth uh, as part of this, you can actually move up. A lot of our uh, growth uh, reps have moved up to handle larger customers now and have grown a lot from that in, in global, right? So that's a, actually a great growth opportunity for them to really do that. Awesome. And one of the, the last things, as far as the three steps you recommended to make this transition was really just around iterating and mm. finding like something to do <laughs> that will yeah. move forward in this direction. And so... Yeah. What did you do specifically? Like, what were some of those first quick wins that you got under your belt to really prove out like, hey, we should go in this direction? Yeah, I think it's in a smaller company, you can do a lot of these decisions a lot faster, right? And and launch things a lot faster. But especially in big companies, you end up in a world where you need to do things iteratively because you are, you're doing a change and it's better to do small changes than big changes. And you want to test your thesis as well, which is a big part of change management. Will this actually work? And you can say, in a company like Cobalt, there are many unknowns, right? Because one, it's a penetration test, right? So can you even do like, how do you do a like free trial? Will people actually buy your product? Do they trust you enough to buy your, your product without speaking with a salesperson? I think that was one of the first thesis uh, or first theories we wanted to prove. And we did that by introducing uh, code requests. Uh, so basically, instead of like introducing self-sign-up, uh, we moved a bit away from saying like demo requests for these like smaller customers. We made a call to action that was like a quote request. So basically like asking them to request a quote because we were already seeing often in the demo request, that's what they were actually asking for. They were just asking for the price and we didn't have transparent uh, pricing. So that was a good first step and kind of told us, okay, instead of like having the call to action be a demo, you make the call to action, okay, they know what Cobalt is, they have read about us on the website, now they just want the price so they can move forward, right? So really, like, can you reduce steps in the sales process? I would say that worked okay. What often ended happening was, and that's because we haven't automated it fully, is it still ended up having some sort of demo at some point with a salesperson, but I think it cut down a lot of the like pricing discussions and like a lot of steps were cut off, right? In that sales call, because they already knew like the pricing, the what they get and, and these kind of things. The next step we made was transparent pricing. So basically like instead of them having to request a quote, they actually end up on a pricing page where they see one pen test costs this. And that was done based again, this was the beauty of having focused on one segment. We knew exactly what the majority, like 95% of these customers, they do like annual pen testing on their apps, right? Uh, so we could sell that. Of course, we want them to do more, but we can always, you know, talk with them when they are a customer at that point. But most of them are just coming to do annual pen testing. So you could really standardize the pricing towards them, right? And that was, again, a good point of having that focus was you could really show a pricing that just fit them. And that was a big success as well. We saw them select, they still had the option to like get a custom code, but in most cases they would just select, you know, the actual, we had two options, like a one-year and two-year option. 
and where they get a discount and then they could they would select like one of those and that would again reduce a lot of the negotiation conversation you know around the product so i would say those are two big steps i think the third big step that's coming up is some kind of free trial experience whether that's going to be inside our product or it's going to be some kind of exploratory thing that's still kind of in the works i think in the long run, I believe the right solution is an inside-the-app free trial, right? But there are a lot of things you have to consider in Pentesting because uh, Pentest as a service is kind of two things. It's a platform, but it's actually also people delivering a Pentest, right? So how do you actually trial that, right? You can trial all the great features in the platform. You can see all this stuff. But how do you trial something that is, you know, like a delivery from someone, do you give them that delivery for free, right? But that also has a cost. You can do many things. But yeah, I think that's a, a challenge you have to like think about on top of just the product, which is a bit, you can say, unique for a marketplace software versus a pure software. Uh, I mean, in Userflow, we don't have that problem at all, right? We're just presenting the value of our flow builder and that's enough, right? Uh, but here you have to do a bit more. Totally. Like the cost of... <laughs> like a pen test, I can only imagine like what that might be if you were to give that away for free. And if it's just an annual thing they do once, it's like, you know what? Um, <laughs> should yeah. we give that away for free? So like, this is such a big challenge for a lot of companies too. Like if it's just like, you know, a matter of giving away more server space, like as far as, you know, with user flow and like, okay, yes, they are going to be using more servers. Uh, as far as like giving away our free plan for this, it's not overall like, like that expensive for every new free user. But for a lot of folks, like this could be very expensive. And so it's a matter of thinking about like, you know, what layer or level of free could we realistically offer? But what I'd like like, as far as what you mentioned, is just like the evolution. I always say like this whole product-led or sales-led to product-led motion is like an evolution, not a revolution. And that's exactly what you did. And so you didn't try to like rock the boat too much initially. It was that really just around the pricing. So people couldn't request that up until you just said, okay, let's, let's make it easier for people to get a quote. Then from the quote, it was, okay, let's really uh, revalue the pricing. And the good thing about that way you did it, step one with the quote, is you're probably hearing a lot of the same inbound inquiries around like, hey, like this is maybe the expectation. <laughs> maybe it's too high. Yeah. Here's my objections. And like you could just like build up a ton of this customer research so that by the time you got to the pricing page, that's going to be way easier for your team to handle. And it does do a really big thing, which is just accelerates the sales cycle because there's less conversations just around the pricing. So I love it. That's an amazing thing. If anyone could just do that one thing, even if you're still completely uh, sales-led, that's going to help you move in the right direction. And, and I think a, a key thing to add is we did it in, in a production environment. It wasn't, you know, you can end up in this like really like you iterating in your whatever theoretical space, right? You know, like you're talking about, yeah, we could do this, we could do this. But you never learn anything by just talking internally. You actually only learn when you try to release something to the users and see how they react to it, right? Um, I would say the transparent pricing, we could have discussed for ages, like whether we should do like release that or not, right? And should, ah, is that risky? But because we did it and we did it as like an A-B test, we learned that that was actually better. And then we moved fully into that, right? So I think don't overthink things, rather do small iterations that you release into production environments and test it out, right? 
because otherwise you're going to end up just discussing all the time uh, about stuff. Yeah. And we've definitely seen some companies think like, you know, a year or two ahead as far as like this whole transition. Those are like public companies we're talking about. So it's like, I guess there's a lot more people in some of those companies uh, as far as getting by and it's like you're turning a cruise ship. But I am totally with you on that. Like the faster you can iterate, the faster you're going to learn at the end of the day. And so to really recap, the three recommendations you had as far as making this transition from sales to product, the first one is really start from the top, get the buy-in for the team try and figure out what their angle is as part of their department so that they can easily get bought in and see the vision as part of how being product-led will help them and not just serve the product uh, because they definitely care about hitting their goals and growing their own career. The second stage is find those levers that you can iterate on quickly. The example you gave is really just around the quotes. If you are hiding your pricing currently, I strongly recommend start there and then evaluate the pricing page uh, before going down and taking bigger swings. Now, the third one is really just focused on that change management. And so thinking about, you know, how do we get the team to think about this differently? How can we get this as part of our DNA? Maybe it starts off with those all hands uh, meetings and just like going through regularly repeating the same stuff about why we're being product led um, and gets more people bought into it eventually. There's some really fun things you could do there. So Thank you for going through just like your uh, transition for this. This has been fantastic. But before we wrap up, what is up with you now? So you were at Cobalt doing this sales-led, trying to transition to what is more product-led. And then you're building a product that is literally (laughs) empowering companies to be more product-led. So it's like totally different track. uh, And it's, Mm. it's super exciting to see. So what is... Be the next thing for you. Yeah, no. So I think I'm a founder by heart, and uh, you know, Cobalt reached, uh, as I said, 200 people. It's a very different organization. I still love it. I still love. There's a, a lot of great challenges at Cobalt, but I think I wanted to move a big back to the early stage kind of uh, startup again. So I joined my friend Sebastian as a co-founder of Userflow, uh, and Userflow is basically a way to build in-app guides, in-app onboarding checklists, in-app surveys to really ensure adoption, onboarding, retention in a no-code kind of way. A big part of this other big movement that's going on at the moment, which is no-code, which I think is great. And uh, that was, I think, this whole product-led journey at Cobalt led me to kind of see that this is a big challenge for a lot of companies, uh, both early stage, but also later stage uh, as Cobalt. And it excited me a lot. And I could see there was a a need to kind of help a lot of these companies uh, do better onboarding onto their products in a smart way, right? We want to do it in a nice and easy way. And often, as we've heard now with Cobalt, this is not done by engineers necessarily or product uh, all the time. You also want like the go-to-market team to help or uh, others to help. And therefore, you need like no-code solutions sometimes to do this stuff and really uh, make the transition into product-led easier. And and that's what we're doing with Userflow. Uh, So really making it easier for non-engineers to build onboarding and and these kind of things in free trials or even after purchase. Interesting. So I'm spotting a pattern here based on your second step, iterate, iterate, iterate. What does Userflow help you do? Iterate, iterate, iterate on your onboarding, make it super fast. So there you have it. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah. I agree. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Product Lab Podcast. This has been a blast. And any other places where people can find out about you? I know there's userflow.com, but anything else? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. I'm a very open uh, networker. Uh, Love to always have a chat about both product-led and also anything else. So yeah, I'm happy to have a chat. I'm also on the product-led Slack. Very active in there. I love the community. Highly recommend anybody who's not there to join the product-led Slack. There's a lot of learnings you can do about best practices and and open questions. So yeah, I love the stuff you guys are doing and uh, keep it up. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. This is fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me.